New York City's Chelsea Hotel has a storied history. The famously run-down hotel on West 23rd Street in Manhattan is in the midst of what appears to be a drawn-out renovation. But it's the list of who once calls the Chelsea home that has garnered it the most attention over the years. The hotel was built during the latter part of the 1800s, and from the beginning, it attracted creative types. It's been a haven for artists, writers, and musicians. Among them, Bob Dylan, Jasper Johns, Patti Smith, and... Leonard Cohen. Cohen even sung about it. I remember you well in the Chelsea Hotel. The Chelsea has also seen its fair share of controversy. Sex Pistol Sid Vicious was accused of killing his girlfriend there in 1978. He was arrested and charged with the crime, but soon after died of a drug overdose and the NYPD closed the case against him. Even in more recent years, the Chelsea Hotel has housed a vibrant cast of characters. Just ask Nikolai Rips. She grew up there. The 17-year-old is now out with a memoir about her experiences. It's called Trying to Float, Coming of Age in the Chelsea Hotel. Nikolaya is with me today in the studio. Thanks so much for coming in. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. So this memoir began as your middle school diaries, right? Yes. What were those years like for you? Um, hard. I I really started writing so that I could, you know, because I didn't have many friends and I wanted to get these stories down and I really wanted to be able to express myself to, if not people that were interested, you know, something that was interested, <laughs> why which turned into a diary. Yeah, why didn't you have many friends? Um, I attribute it all to my uneven haircut, but <laughs> that is that is what I think. You know, it was really a combination of being sort of pushy and desperate and strange, you know, growing up among adults and out-of-the-box adults. Speaking of out-of-the-box adults, you grew up in the Chelsea Hotel. I did grow up in the Chelsea Hotel. What brought your family to the Chelsea Hotel in the first place? You know, laziness, really. They got married and they moved into the Chelsea Hotel because my my dad had a friend there, and they just never left. (laughs) It's sort of that way with a lot of residents of the hotel. What was it like to grow up in the Chelsea well, there wasn't room service. <laughs> <laughs> Not that kind of hotel. Not that kind of hotel. I thought it, it was a magical environment. As I got older, the, the magic sort of faded away, and I unfortunately saw, you know, what I think a lot of people see, which is the not depravity, but the sort of decay of the hotel. Um, but when I was growing up, it was magical. So describe for me your neighbors at the Chelsea Hotel. Who were they? Um, You know, artists, writers, bon vivants, decadent people, just the people, you know, those who go out and and create things. And I love being in that setting. And did you bond with them, form friendships? Absolutely. I think much of the book is about the friendships that I formed at the hotel. And there was one woman... I guess, an androgynous individual, Stormy. Stormy. Tell me about Stormy. Stormy, actually, um, it's reputed that she threw the first punch or rock at the uh, Stonewall Inn riots. And she was sort of a regular figure in the lobby, as most were, and uh, one of my dearest friends at the hotel. She came to your defense. She did, many times. I was having trouble with some of the little girls at uh, school, and she was very, you know, protective of me. And she packed a weapon. She did. She packed a weapon around her ankle. 
and she wasn't afraid to use it if she had to. No, she wasn't. I was afraid for her to use it. <laughs> she actually offered to use it for Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Tell she us that story. She was incredibly No, she wasn't. <laughs> um, I came to her and I was very upset about how I was, you know, not being tre- how I was being treated uh, at school, and she offered to, you know, shove her boot up these nine-year-old girls' asses. <laughs> You didn't take her up on the offer. You know what? Now <laughs> that I think about it, I should have. <laughs> so did your parents rely on folks in the Chelsea to babysit you when they went out? Yes, they did. My parents went one of two ways. They would have one of their neighbors come and babysit me, or they would uh, take me with them to whatever what restaurant they were eating at, and I would just nap on the banquette. You had one babysitter in particular named Jade, right? Yes. Jade may or may not have been a courtesan. <laughs> <laughs> not so sure. Never found out. I don't want, you know, I like to think. We Never, never confirmed, though. You've been called a bohemian Eloise. That is very flattering. <laughs> Actually, not quite that flattering. Eloise was kind of spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about that? I think that living in a hotel has always fascinated people, and I am happy to provide what my experiences have been. You had one and only one children's party at the Chelsea Hotel, and it was an eventful one. It was an eventful one. Um, I invited a group of my friends over. Not my friends. I invited a group of people I hoped would become my friends. Um, and my neighbor and my father's friend, the Capitan, came over uh, in a state of disarray, having just gotten into a fight with his uh, girlfriend and really broke up the party. Yeah. Tell us more about the Capitan. The Capitan was this sort of mystical figure. He was, I thought, very elegant, but in a, you know, you know, alcoholic decaying kind of way and he lived with this woman who was not his wife and he possibly had many other lovers who knows uh and he had this gorgeous black newfoundland named johnny and you rode i did johnny was my steed (laughs) out in the streets of new york city out in the streets out in the street to the deli and then back (laughs) Halloween was a special holiday for you at the Chelsea Hotel. What made Halloween so special? It was really a time for the residents of the hotel to be praised for things that they were typically ostracized for, uh, their creativity, the richness with which they led their lives. And it was such a celebration at the hotel. What were some of the costumes that you remember growing up seeing people in? Well, my my parents actually, we threw an annual Halloween party and we would have different themes like the circus or dead royals or, you know, silent film stars. You went as Groucho Marx. Groucho Marx is your hero. He is my hero. I was born on the day he died. It is an unpopular opinion, but I believe I am the reincarnation of Groucho Marx. (laughs) (laughs) What do you admire about Groucho? Oh, just his ceaseless wit. He's so quick. And I I just admire that immensely. 
You were also born in the year of the tiger and the month of the lion. Yes. So your mom decided everything you wore should be feline themed. Yes. Everything I wore was feline themed, <laughs> as was my room. I had a leopard print rug. There were cats all over the wall, which is kind of ironic because I am allergic to cats. That is very ironic. Yes. <laughs> So how did your dress go over at school, this person showing up in feline-themed outfits? I think it was just sort of another strike against me. It was like, ah, her mother cuts her bangs. You know, she wears exclusively animal print. (laughs) Who is she? (laughs) Reading didn't come easy to you. No, it didn't. I think that's something that surprises people most when uh, they talk to me or they read my book. Yeah. Because I was essentially illiterate until third grade. Until third grade. How did you manage to go so long without having solid reading skills? It was sort of my my ability to get through without being able to read was built on my dad's, you know, lies and deception. He um, He told the school that I had an eye problem to get me out of having to repeat a grade. And you actually had to have that looked at. I did have to have that look at looked at. Um, Now I wear I have very bad eyesight. I think that that testing for a year really did a number. So how did this all happen? How did you go through the time again? But why didn't you learn to read? I didn't learn to read because my father um, is of the school of thought that reading to a child and then a, a lively discussion is more appropriate than actually sitting down and having them read themselves. He didn't, you know, take into account that at some point teachers and schools might actually want their students to be literate. No, that that surpassed him. <laughs> Does that surprise you? Does it surprise me? No, I think it. I think that seems like a natural you know, path that most people think about, but uh, my dad did not. And because of this and because of the stories he would read to me, I did not, um, I was not willing to put the effort in. What kinds of stories would he read to you? Oh, whatever he was currently reading. He liked the, he liked the challenge. So then after you were found out, if you will, that you couldn't read so well, then what happened? I, I went to essentially a a summer school called the Go Project, um, where uh, I learned to read. Actually, this past summer, I worked there. It sort of was coming full circle. Yeah, giving back. Do you feel like you're giving back to a program that really helped you? Absolutely. I think it's a phenomenal program. I was the a program assistant i was the assistant to one of the sort of principals which was a job i feel in no way qualified for <laughs> so the school though never found out the real reason why you didn't know how to no read. the school has not and hopefully they will not <laughs> <laughs> unless they read your book of course <laughs> your dad spent a lot of time at coffee shops yes it seems like coffee shops were and maybe perhaps still are very important to him Absolutely. He does most of his writing from coffee shops, and I've inherited that trait. I coffee shop hop (laughs) because they don't take kindly to getting like one espresso and then sitting there for 10 hours. (laughs) Your dad was a lawyer turned writer. He is both. He is both. Simultaneously. He is a man of many, uh, many things. And your mom, an artist. My mom is an artist. She was a model when she in her youth. And she is a phenomenal artist. A lot of creativity in the family. 
I would think so. <laughs> you and your mom also have spent a lot of time traveling. Absolutely, yes. My mom uh, is a world traveler. She really started modeling because she wanted to get out of St. Louis, Missouri and travel around. And she's always uh, taken me. Where are some trips. of the more magical places that you and your mom have visited together? Ooh, uh, we visited Mongolia. We went to China. Uh, we backpacked in Argentina. We've really been to a lot of places together. Now, before you all moved into the Chelsea Hotel, you lived in Italy too, right? Yes, we did. I spent my first year or so in Italy, and my dad uh, wrote a book about it called Pasquale's Nose, huh. a criminally underrated book, I believe. <laughs> Speaking of books, the first book you were allowed to read on your own, I understand, was Jerry Seinfeld's Halloween. It is a great <laughs> book. <laughs> based on a story in the comedian stand-up act, right? It is fantastic. Yes, it is based on a story. Um, I was so devoted to this book. I would read it like I was thrilled that I could read it and I would read it like every week and I would read it out loud and I would read it to myself. You know, it's fantastic. After third grade when you actually started After to third learn grade, how to read. When I started to read <laughs> picture books. <laughs> I've read that you are quite skilled in delivering an after-dinner toast, or at least that's what your dad told someone in a preschool interview. That is one of my only redeeming qualities. <laughs> How did that come about in a preschool interview? Well, my parents were asked to talk about me and all the things I could do, and I could not do very much. I was not potty trained at the time. I, again, could not read and would not be able to until many years afterward. So... The only thing that I really could do was sleep in and give an after-dinner toast. <laughs> and you actually did give after-dinner toasts. I did. I would. Give me an example of one of your after-dinner toasts. Ooh, an example? I don't know if I could do that, but I was always, you know, at these dinner parties with my parents, and my dad thought it was like sort of a cute party trick that I could get up there and deliver my speech. So he wasn't lying there. He was not lying. <laughs> <laughs> Some kids play video games. Your favorite activity was seeing how far you could pull the clasp on the fire alarm without breaking its tiny glass tube. Yes, that does sound rather sad. But <laughs> <laughs> How did that work out for you? Not well. Um, I pulled it all the way one time and I caused the fire alarms to go off and the fire department came and it was quite a traumatic experience for me. However, it sort of erupted into this mini soiree in the lobby with my dad giving out drinks because, you know, it, when it comes down to it, people always ask, what's the one thing you would take from a burning building? Well, my dad took this bottle of gin he'd been saving. <laughs> what did your mom take? She took me. She took you. There she you go. She took me and the stack of journals. Whenever she goes on a trip, she'll paint uh, her own journal, which I think is sort of fitting because my dad and I write and my mom does these painted journals. Does that, though, say a lot about the Chelsea Hotel? There is a fire alarm pulled. People are running out. And yet it turns into a soiree. I think it does. I think in the Chelsea Hotel, a lot of the time, it's it's as important to to live a a full life and to live a, a rich and interesting life than to just rush out and bypass all the wonderful things. No question, a long list of characters have made a home at the Chelsea Hotel, from Andy Warhol to Patti Smith. Anyone of note live at the Chelsea while you were there? 
oh, I feel so many of note. I well, I think my parents are of note. <laughs> uh, Sally Singer, who's an editor at Vogue. There are some incredible writers, Joe O'Neill. Um, let let me. There are incredible painters. Uh, Artie Weinstein, who is talked about a lot in my book, was a an artist and sort of disco phenomenon. Who from that long list of people, though, who lived at the Chelsea before your time, would you have wanted to meet? Ooh. Maybe Leonard Cohen. Was he on the list? I believe he was on the list. Leonard Cohen. Or, you know, I really love, I love Marilyn Monroe. And I think one of the things I think is really interesting is that prior to all these famous people residing at the Chelsea Hotel, a lot of Titanic uh, survivors came and made their home there after the, the carnage. And I think it's that's sort of an interesting thing. I would have liked to talk to some of them. How much did you know about the history of the Chelsea and its place in culture while you were growing up there? Not that much. You know, I would also I would always be there and there would be people like taking photographs constantly in the lobby, moving in and out. I was uh, there when I think it was Kanye West did a, a photo shoot um, on like either my floor, the sixth floor or the eighth floor. And I remember walking outside with my mom and my mom being like, that's Kanye East. And I was like, that's, <laughs> I don't think that's right. But <laughs> Were there other kids at the Chelsea? Yes. Um, not many in my age bracket. There was one other girl who, uh, her, her name's Maya. She is the daughter of uh, Ethan Hawke, and she and I were very close. I wrote her a little note when I first met her and slipped it under her door because she was the only other girl my age at the hotel. Now, there are some great photographs of you on the cover of this book. How old were you here? Ooh, I think I was around, like, I'm honestly not sure, nine, eight and Maybe what, younger, seven. And what's the story behind these photos? Because it looks like these photos were taken in a photo booth. Yes, they were. I find the cover kind of sad because uh, this photo strip was taken at the bat mitzvah of my parents' friend's daughter. And everybody else knew somebody and went into the photo booth with their friends. And I really wanted to go into the photo booth, but I didn't know anybody. So I just went in alone. And you can see at the the first photo, I'm sort of hesitant and I'm just not really understanding how this works. And then by the last one, I'm really hamming it up for the camera. You were recently quoted in an article saying, I wouldn't want to fit in because what's the fun in that? Who fits in and then goes on to do something great? Would the girl on the cover of this book have said that? I don't think so. I think at the time that's all I really wanted to to do was to fit in. And, you know, it's sad, but I'm I feel much stronger and much more productive for it. <laughs> do you recall the moment when you sort of had that realization that it's okay to be different? Let me just be me. That will make me successful. I think going into uh my high school, LaGuardia High School, which is for performing arts, uh, when I stepped in there and it, it sort of just shifted my entire mentality because I saw that, you know, so many of the things that I had been, you know, mocked for were considered cool. Honestly, I actually, I feel that I had this insight much younger when I, maybe when I even got into high school and I saw that, you know, I was never really meant to be not to be normal or to to just slide through life. 
I learned a term in your book that I had never heard before, spraying. Spraying, yes. What is spraying? It's on the first day of school or at any other point when all the girls are looking to make friends and they they sort of leave their mark on the girls that they want to be friends with. Sort of like, this is my friend. Don't go near them. I never heard of that before. Yes, I, I believe I made it up, but it is a phenomenon that I feel many people understand. And you were sprayed. I was. I made a lot of... I, I met people who would later become my friends. A far cry from where you started, right? Absolutely. In elementary school. With each, you know, as I progress through the book and through the years, everything has just continued to get better. Now you're off to college. Now I'm off to college. I am going to Brown University in the fall. Fall, like three weeks. <laughs> and what are you planning to study? Um, I'm not entirely sure. Probably classics or English. I'm very excited about going to Brown because I feel that there's a lot of room for me to take the classes that I've always wanted to take and to really expand my interests. Now, you said you went to LaGuardia. Yes. So what were you focused on in high school? Drama or I was or focused what? on vocal music. Okay. Anything in particular, any genre? Well, uh, we have f three years of operatic training with, you know, theory, music history, everything you t need to become a classical performer. But that's not really my cup of tea. I can appreciate it, and LaGuardia has really helped me with that. But I'm, I'm more into sort of folk, jazz. I grew up listening to my parents' music. I was going to say, how much did growing up in the Chelsea influence what you have come to appreciate as an adult. Oh, so much. Uh, it has really stimulated uh, my taste in music and the arts and movies. What's the story behind the title, Trying to Float? Well, it comes from this one story in the book where I um, accidentally almost drown a, a baby. Accidentally almost drown a baby. Accidentally <laughs> almost drown a baby. And... I named the book Trying to Float because I am trying to float in the subsequent stories. The entire book is me, you know, just attempting to get my head above water and go through these years. So help me to understand this, Nikolaya. How does one accidentally almost drown a baby? Well, I fell on it. You fell on the baby. I fell on the baby. I was handed a baby, and it was my one job to just put the baby into the pool, and I did not do that. I fell on top of it, and it was a baby sandwich. It was me on top, the baby in the middle, and the mother, and we all drowned. Yikes. Yikes. But no one was hurt. Nobody was hurt except for my pride. Yeah, <laughs> sure. You tell another funny story in the book about your mother following your school bus on a bicycle. Yes. She was very nervous, as I feel many uh, New York City parents are, about her kid riding the school bus on her own. So she decided to take matters into her own hands, and she would ride behind me, you know, cycling madly on her bicycle. And she's an artist, so she's always had paint splattered everywhere, and she wears these overalls full body overalls with long sleeves and they also have paint on them and she was quite the sight and were you sort of just like sinking in your seat hoping no one knew that was mom I chasing the school bus realize until everybody was like looking out the back window and laughing hysterically and then i was like who is that insane woman oh that's my mom <laughs> oh no <laughs> 
As far as your your upbringing at the Chelsea, have you kept in contact with anyone? Because currently you're not living at the Chelsea anymore. No, we have moved for because it's being renovated. There are so many. It's changed hands so many times. Yeah, what is the status of the Chelsea? Um, it's in the process of being renovated. There actually might be a stop work order. I'm not entirely sure. Do you still have your apartment yes, there? Yes, it's my mom's studio now. Mm-hmm. It's your mom's studio. Yes, and we go down there, you know, quite frequently. So it's being renovated. Is it being turned into something more luxury? I hope not. (laughs) I think they want to make it a little bit upscale, bring it to a modern crowd. Uh, It's been met with a lot of resentment from past and current tenants because they feel that it will destroy the charm of the hotel. Mm -hmm. Was the hotel ever charming? One asks. (laughs) (laughs) Are you still in the Chelsea area? No, we're actually uh, all the way uptown, the Upper West Side, which is a wasteland. A lot different, huh? A lot different. Do you have pets now? I do have a pet now. I have a dog. His name is uh, Bertram Wilberforce Wooster. I don't know the reference. The reference is from uh, a P.G. Woodhouse stories, uh, Birdie and Jeeves. Okay. So we call him Birdie. He is this you know, lovable bundle of black fur. My dad seems to think that there's some sort of family resemblance between the two of us. <laughs> he's always taking out baby pictures, and he's like, look how similar they look. And it's like, I am not a dog, no matter what I look like in the morning. You once had a hamster named Cream Puff. Yes, I did. You're right about Cream Puff. Cream Puff met a tragic ending. She rolled down the stairs in her little hamster ball. At the Chelsea? At the Chelsea Hotel. And uh, she passed away. How did that happen? I believe that one of the other residents of our floor opened. There's like a door that leads into the hallway where the stairwell is. And I believe she opened the door so Cream Puff could escape. How tragic was that for you? It was uh, very upsetting to me. I think even though hamsters, I feel, are sort of the lowest level of affection, you know, like if your parents really love you, they would get you a dog. If they really <laughs> loved you, they'd get you a horse. But they only kind of love you if they get you a hamster. And they do not like you if they get you a fish. Um, but because of this, my mother sent me to animal camp, which wasn't actually animal camp at all. It was veterinary camp, which was perhaps even more traumatic because I was forced to aid in uh, surgical procedures. Really? Yes. Yikes. Now, you and your dad worked on this book together, right? My dad has been a critical influence in all of my writing. He has really helped me structure these stories. He has had such support and such faith in my writing. How much work went into turning that diary into this book? Hmm. It's, It's underwent a lot of work. We would spend every weekend together sitting in cafes and we would go over stories. And then after, I think, two years, um, he really was like, "Okay, whatever else, you got this, which was a nice show of faith. Are you hoping that the girls, the kids that bullied you in elementary school read this book? No, I really don't. Is that right? (laughs) I hope they do. Sales. No, sales. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, but I think after a while, the initial, my initial writings, my initial vignettes were much more petty and I really wanted to, to hurt the people like they, that I had been hurt. 
Um, but after rewriting and going over it many times, uh, especially since I got older, I really let go of a lot of that. And I, I wanted to be as, you know, not harsh as possible while still getting my side of the story across. What's it like to be a published author at such a young age? You know, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a lot of surprise people have. I felt like when I came for this interview, I was like, I'm here for an interview. And he was like, for a job interview. And I was like, no, actually, I'm being interviewed. Have your friends read the book? Yes, they have all read the book. And what kind of feedback have you been getting? They have been giving me such incredible support. They have come to my readings. They are so wonderful. What's your advice to a young girl, perhaps listening to this now, who is being bullied in school? I think that you should find a medium to express yourself. It can be writing, it can be painting, acting, you know, running, really. But find a way to, to get out your emotions and, and be, be productive about your, your feelings. So by far, what would you say is your fondest memory of growing up in the Chelsea Hotel? I don't know if I can pick a specific memory. I really have such fond memories. I think that growing up as I did, though unconventional, has been such a gift and has really, you know, made my life interesting and wonderful and made and shaped me as a person. Nikolai Rips, the book is Trying to Float, Coming of Age in the Chelsea Hotel. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. 17-year-old Nikolai Rips grew up in the iconic Chelsea Hotel. She writes about her experiences and trying to float, coming of age in the Chelsea Hotel. It's published by Scribner. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Bodarki. Remember, you can listen to past editions of Cityscape at any time at wfuv.org slash cityscape or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks so much for listening. It's WFUV and WFUV HD New York. Listener-supported public media from Fordham, the Jesuit University of New York. Music discovery starts here.